Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and this week is Animal Week. I have a tidbit about why we say you're off your feed when you're having a bad day. It's not about your Facebook feed or your podcast feed. And a meaty middle looking at the amazing ways that animals can and can't communicate. Let's start with a tidbit. Have you ever been off your feed? If so, you probably felt a little off, even sick, definitely not hungry. The phrase off your feed was first used in the 1800s by farmers when their animals refused to eat. A cow who turned away from her hay, for example, would be said to be off her feed. We can also find the phrase in the diaries of Captain R.F. Scott, the British explorer who in 1911 set out for the South Pole. Scott brought along sled dogs and ponies who proved essential to his campaign. Scott's anguish when the ponies took ill comes through in his writing. Here are a few entries from his diary. Thursday, June 15th. Jimmy Pig had an attack of colic this afternoon. On return to the stable, he was off his feed. This evening, the soldier tells me he has eaten his food, so I hope all will be well again. Friday, July 14th. We had a horrible fright and are not yet out of the wood. At noon yesterday, one of the ponies, Bones, suddenly went off his feed. Toward midnight, I felt very downcast. It is so very certain that we cannot afford to lose a single pony. And Sunday, July 16th. Another slight alarm this morning. The pony, China, went off his feed at breakfast time and lay down twice. He was up and well again in half an hour, but what on earth is it that's disturbing these poor beasts? Well, the ponies recovered, but perhaps their distress was a harbinger of what was to come. Scott eventually reached the pole, only to discover a Norwegian flag already marking the spot. Arr! Roald Amundsen, another explorer, had beat him there by five weeks. Disheartened, Scott and his men began the march back to their base camp. They never made it. Waiting for a scheduled relief crew that never came, they perished in the frigid cold wrapped in their sleeping bags. Scott's diary was found tucked beneath his arms, inscribed with these final words. It seems a pity, but I do not think I can write more. For God's sake, look after our people. Today, when we say people are off their feed, we're not always talking about appetite. We often mean they're just not acting like themselves. But what exactly is off is unclear. Maybe it's their feed. Maybe not. So that's your tidbit for today. To be off your feed literally means to have lost your appetite. Figuratively, it means that something indefinable is just not quite right. That segment was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com or on Twitter as dragonflyedit. Next, I have a piece by Sayel Graves about what makes human language distinctly different from animal communication. Language is one of the most remarkable characteristics that separates humans from other animals. Despite the many remarkable abilities of non-human animals, and despite the hopes and dreams of many animal lovers, animals don't have language like humans do. But they do have basic ways of communicating with each other, which we'll explore later in the episode. In addition, no animal is able to acquire human language. 
Like many urban legends, such myths are widespread. Let's start with a few animal communication systems, then with what makes human language different, and finally we'll explain why no animal has been able to learn a human language, despite what the internet may suggest. Animal communication systems are both interesting and impressive, but very limited in what they are able to express. Some animals seem to talk to each other, leading people to believe that because we can't understand animals, they may have a language as complex as ours. Yet this is not, in fact, the case. We are, however, able to research and uncover much of what animals express to each other. For example, you may have heard that bees can do a communication dance to convey the approximate location and even the general quality of a food source. However, bees have no option to talk about any other subjects. We know this because of experiments that made honeybees walk back to their nests. The poor bees. These bees described how long they traveled to get home, indicating a very faraway food source. But they weren't able to explain that they had not flown back or what had happened. Another example is research using spectrograms to measure the amplitude and sound frequency of dog barks. This research shows that dog barks can be divided into subtypes that express different emotions, such as wanting to play versus greeting other creatures. However, it can't confirm for certain any consistent meanings between the subtypes of barks, or even that dogs perceive differences. Other research does find an array of emotions that dog barks express, including distress calls, protests, play, threats, and warnings. But as we'll see shortly, this is just a fraction of what we see in human language. A third example is spiders, which have an intricate system of courtship, including both visual and auditory clues like dancing, vibrating, thumping, and signaling. These cues vary depending on whether the prospective female is in or out of her nest, and can also be used to communicate aggressive emotions to other male spiders. Yet the gentleman spider's mating ritual is fixed. It only has one way to explain itself to the lady spider. In contrast, the thought of humans having only one single sentence to express affection would be very peculiar. A way to sum up what these examples have in common is to say that they're stimulus-controlled. Animals communicate when prompted to by stimuli, like hunger, danger, and other immediate circumstances. But they don't have communicative choices like people do. When we experience an environmental stimulus, like someone accidentally running into us, we may shriek in pain inadvertently. But we have speaking options, too, such as, look where you're going, or, it's okay, it's my fault, or, fancy running into you here. It is true that we haven't tested the communicative competency of every animal out there. However, the nature of human language and cognition are such that linguists aren't holding their breath for the discovery of an animal communication system that even approaches human language complexity or spontaneity. Human language is located in the language centers of the brain, and these aren't shared by animals. So, why is it inaccurate to say that animals have their own languages? Well, we know how limited animal communication is in what it can express. 
In contrast, one of the hallmarks that makes human language unique is its capacity for creativity and lack of limitations on what it's capable of expressing. For example, people can talk about true things, or we can lie about things. We can discuss abstract concepts like beauty, war, or kindness. We can give each other directions for travel or instructions for how to bake a cake. Another ability we take for granted is being able to discuss stuff that doesn't exist in the present moment, or that isn't in our purview at the time of the utterance, or even something that will never happen or could never be. Some linguists call this ability displacement, and note that it has never been observed in animal communication. Negation is another feature that's both exclusive to and present in every single human language including those found in indigenous cultures without advanced technology. Animals aren't able to express negation. Well, some may say that their dog can let them know that it does not want to eat something by turning away from it. This isn't the same as expressing negation grammatically or linguistically. For example, you could close your eyes or be on the phone and hear someone utter the words, I do not want to eat these anchovies on my pizza. Even without context, visual information, knowing the person, or even seeing the person or the anchovies, you would comprehend this negative utterance perfectly, as long as you're a speaker of the language in which it was spoken, of course. This is another distinguishing feature between human language and animal communication. We can easily combine displacement with negation to illustrate this. Imagine a dog explaining that it doesn't mind that you're out of a certain doggy treat because it liked that treat last year, but doesn't like it so much anymore. (laughs) Woof. Well, it's not really possible. (laughs) The number of words in human languages can vary, but human languages have hundreds of thousands of words. Research on the jumping spider, on the other hand, finds 24 total signals that the male spider produces in order to entice the female spider to mate. Other research finds 11 basic vocal sound types in wolves, and as few as four in some dog breeds. Even if you were to argue that the basic sound types of the dogs and wolves could be akin to human-language phones, those are discrete sounds like consonants and vowels, instead of words, we know that the bark types aren't combined to form meaningful units the way sounds combine to form words, but rather are repeated over and over, one bark type at a time. So what about the claims that birds can learn languages? The way that parrots and other birds can imitate human language words is an impressive feat. My grandmother had an African gray. So what is really going on when birds seem to say words? Well, for one thing, and for the most part, talking birds' utterances don't mean anything. Bird-owning listeners may agree that a bird might say hello over and over and over in a way that a person over the age of two never would or say hello when someone is leaving instead of arriving. Unlike when people say words, birds that say words are doing something more like playing a game. People, again, choose what we want to say and when, as opposed to producing language inadvertently. When people are hungry, we can choose to tell this fact to someone, or we can choose to stay quiet about it. When someone arrives, we're free to greet the person, or ignore the person, And when someone leaves, we're very unlikely to part ways with a hello. 
These birds are brilliant imitators, but true human language is generated by choice and intention, not imitation. Talking birds also can't generate new sentences by combining words they've learned, nor can they segment the words they've learned. The utterances of birds can't be broken down into discrete units. Think of a bird who's learned to say, Polly want a cracker. We could ask an English-speaking child to say the same sentence, and then say, now say Polly, now say want, say cracker, with great success and without any crackers or Polly's nearby for visual clues. I'm sure you can see how asking the parrot to do the same would be an exercise in frustration. In addition, we could ask the child to make the P sound or the AH sound in Polly or the I sound because human language speakers produce words by combining discrete sounds. And good luck asking a parrot to isolate each sound in a word or sentence it's learned. But what about the African gray? A quick YouTube search will reveal remarkable abilities in certain African gray birds, who seemingly illustrate the ability to answer questions about shapes and colors and to have meaning attached to the words that they've learned. Although the intelligence of these birds is truly astounding, and it's a step beyond the simple imitation of a parakeet, it is simple to explain how unlike human languages these feats are. Just compare this to the words that a dog can comprehend and associate with certain actions, like sit, heal, and so on. Associating a word with its meaning isn't the same as being a speaker of the language. Further, while the African gray can answer questions, you'd be hard-pressed to find a bird who could ask a fully formed question due to a desire to find out the answer. Also, one could argue that the way dogs know a walk is coming when they hear the sound of a leash jingle is no different from knowing what the sound sit means after repeated exposure to the sound and the event co-occurring. In other words, animals can associate non-linguistic sounds with meaning too not only linguistic sounds. Next, we've all heard convincing stories about non-human primates, such as chimpanzees, being taught human sign language. By now, you can probably think of many aspects of true human language that we would never see a chimpanzee reproduce. For example, human-signed languages have grammatical markers that make a word plural and ways to indicate verb tense, plus many other complexities, but those features haven't been produced by any chimps. An ape named Washoe learned more than a hundred signs, and Alex the African Grey also knew more than a hundred words. But even if a hundred could compare to the hundreds of thousands in human language, knowing a language is infinitely more than just memorizing words in a dictionary. From this, we're led to the conclusion that no chimpanzee has ever actually learned a human language. Research also finds that these animals use what they learned from us to play or imitate, like the parrot Alex, who sometimes chose to name every color except the correct one on purpose, or the ape, who frequently continued to sign while humans signed to her, not showing much intention to communicate. Finally, the most important difference in the animals to whom people have tried to teach language is just that. They were taught. All of these documented cases of word associations learned by animals required extensive training over long periods of time, from the chimpanzee in the lab to your pet dog at home. 
there is no animal in existence who's learned any amount of human vocabulary with attached meanings by mere exposure alone. They're always explicitly and painstakingly trained to do this. This is a critical and distinct difference from the process through which human children, at ages that precede being able to use a spoon or be toilet trained, are able to comprehend and produce complicated sentences with clear intentions and the need to communicate, without any instruction at all. Without exposure to humans, primates in the wilderness do not sign, and parrots imitate whatever sounds they hear, such as the calls of other animals. This critical fact makes any animal accomplishment in the realm of human language a fundamentally different process. Take note, though, animal lovers, establishing these facts about people and other creatures by no means claims that humans are superior. Animals do an infinite number of remarkable feats that we can't do. It's common knowledge that dogs can smell and hear remarkably better than we can, and that dolphins can hold their breath for far longer. However, just as people couldn't learn how to spin a spider web or see in the dark with the acuity of a cat, it's just as inaccurate to claim that a non-human primate could learn a human language at a fraction of the level that all humans do, especially when we understand and compare the process to the speed and effortlessness with which human children do so. Some may even argue that hoping for non-human animals to talk is anthropomorphizing and equating speech with intelligence. It's more factual and accurate to evaluate and admire the intelligence of an animal by its own innate biological abilities, not by how much human language it can learn and respond to. In fact, the way humans and animals can bond and connect without language makes it all the more remarkable. That segment was written by Sayal Graves, who has two master's degrees in linguistics. You can read more about her at sayelgraves.com. That's S-Y-E-L-L-E-G-R-A-V-E-S dot com. And I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find all the Grammar Girl articles, old podcasts, and transcripts for podcasts at quickanddirtytips.com. I also upload the podcast audio file to my YouTube channel, where you can turn on the closed captioning and follow along word for word if you want to. I also like to use YouTube to listen to podcasts on my smart TV when I'm cleaning the house. My channel is youtube.com slash thegrammargirl, and I don't do it regularly, but I occasionally also make video tips and put them on the YouTube channel. That's all. Thanks for listening. <laughs>